They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. It's Friday, but it's not first Friday, but you know what? That doesn't stop you from making a visit to the Blessed Sacrament and trying to get to Holy Mass and receiving Holy Communion. Amen. And and at the um, parish in Pomona, St. Joseph's Parish on Holt, they are having all-day adoration of the Absolutely. Blessed Sacrament. They have exposition. Mm-hmm. So um, you can go there and, and visit with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. So um, we're going to look at today's Gospel, which is from Ma- Mark, excuse me, Mark 7, 31 through 37. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, we're going to, um, today we're going to talk about how God made us, how far did we fall, and what was his intention in the beginning. So we'll take a look at that, because those have been the first readings of the, the Mass this week have been from the book of Genesis, mm-hmm. God, cr- God's creation of the world and of man. So we'll read from the Gospel of Mark here. Mark seven thirty-one through 37. Jesus left the district of Tyre, and went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee into the district of the Decapolis. And people brought him a deaf man who had a speech impediment and begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him off by himself away from the crowd and put his finger into the man's ears and spitting touched his tongue. Then he took, then he looked, excuse me, then he looked up to heaven and he cried. He looked up to heaven and groaned right. and said to him, Aphatha, that is, be open. And immediately the man's ears were opened. His speech impediment was removed and he spoke plainly. He ordered them not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them not to, the more they proclaimed it. They were exceedingly astonished and they said, He has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Mary, isn't that said at a baptism? Yes, Ephatha, exactly. Exactly. At a baptism, a a, a baby's (laughs) mouth is anointed and their ears. May your ears be open to hear the gospel of the Lord and your mouth open to speak it. So in baptism, this is continued, this, this, this tradition that Jesus started, <laughs> sacred tradition. I love it. Passed on with a capital T, passed on from our Lord himself. Well, a beautiful gospel. Jesus is in the district of the Decapolis. The Decapolis is the 10 cities, and they were mostly pagan people who lived up there. There were Jews living there, but most, mostly pagan people. Oftentimes the Jews, unfortunately, when they lived among the pagans, just adopted the pagan practices so that they would fit in. <laughs> nothing new thing <laughs> going on. Of course, the same old, same old people. We, we have to fight. We have yep. to fight to keep our faith. But it's interesting here because the deaf man doesn't bring himself. And this father pointed this out in his sermon this morning. Some people brought him a deaf man who had a speech impediment and begged him to lay his hand on him. And they're asking Jesus to touch this man. Now, remember, in, in, at this time, when if, if a person had some kind of a speech impediment, if they couldn't see, if they had a disease, if they were, it was considered that they were sinners, mm-hmm. that they were being punished by God, that that's yeah. why they, were, they weren't well, they weren't whole in their body, because somehow they had offended God and they were being punished. And so Jesus is touching a sinner. And Father pointed out, some people bring him. Now, in, in, the, in the one part in the Gospel of Matthew, you have the, the, the friends of this man who's a paralytic bring him and let him down through the roof. It's his friends. It doesn't say who these people are. Is it his neighbors? It is, is it his family? Is it friends of his? Somebody, somebody in the community has, has had compassion on this man. Mm-hmm. Remember, pity is just feeling sorry for people. Compassion is to feel their pain. And to be able to desire their good. Mm. And so they have compassion on this man and they bring him to Jesus. And they beg Jesus to lay his hand on him. Now, it's interesting because Jesus, you know, when they let the paralytic down in front of Jesus, in front of this crowd, Jesus forgives him his sins and then cures him to prove that he has the power to forgive sins in front of the whole crowd. In this case, he takes the man off by himself. And Father pointed out a very beautiful, beautiful um, connection here. We have received the gospel. 
So we need to bring the gospel to others. We've received Jesus Christ. We need to bring him to others. Okay. So that's, that's our work. That's our mission. We are sent. We are sent. We have a mission to bring Christ to others. But now Jesus takes the man away from the crowd. He takes him off by himself. And this, what father pointed out is, you know, when you're trying to evangelize someone, you've introduced them to Jesus, then you need to back off. Ask the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit and your angel to help you discern. When am I supposed to back off and allow Jesus to take over? And Jesus takes this man off by himself. And he, he puts his fingers into the man's ear and spitting touches his tongue. He spits on his hand and he touches the man's tongue with his spittle. Jesus uses touch and he uses material objects as instruments of his healing. He doesn't, he could have just said speech impediment disappear, hearing return. He doesn't do that. He, he touches the man's ears with his finger. He puts his fingers in the man's ear and then he spits and he touches the man's tongue with the spittle. And then he says, Ephatha, be opened. And as Terry mentioned, yes, in the baptismal, right? We still, the, the baby's mouth and ears are, are anointed to receive, to hear the gospel and to be able to say the gospel. So, um, it, Terry, if I can just jump in, what's beautiful is Dr. Scott Hahn, I remember his conversion story, and he talked about that when he became a Catholic, he used his body. Yeah. Remember, as a Protestant, he didn't realize that we kneel down, we take communion on the tongue, we, you know, this is all stuff that was foreign to a Protestant, yeah. but it's very biblical. It's very biblical, and it's, it's, Scott said, he said, all of a sudden, I knew why I had a body. You know, here the church is using incense, she's using water, she's using bread and wine in the Eucharist, and of course, Jesus Christ established all these things. Incense was used in the Old Testament. Bread and wine were used in the Old Testament, remember? Melchizedek offers bread and wine when Abraham brings him a tenth of his booty after winning the battle. He brings it to Melchizedek, the priest king, the king of Salem, the king of peace. And, and Melchizedek offers bread and wine. And again, Jesus offers bread and wine and changes it into his own body, blood, soul, and divinity. The risen, ascended, glorified body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ is really present in the Blessed Sacrament. Not because I said so and not even because I believe it, but because Jesus Christ himself said, over the bread at the Last Supper, this is my body, which will be given up for you. And this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant. In the Gospel of Luke, the word eternal is used. And so Jesus is establishing the new covenant, and with it he establishes a new priesthood. There was a priesthood in the Old Testament, but that priesthood, and yes, every priest is ordained to offer sacrifice, and the sacrifices of the Old Covenant were primarily animal sacrifices. They did have cereal offerings, though. They had other offerings. And so Jesus takes everything that's, he doesn't repudiate what God had given in the Old Testament, that the establishment of God's people, the establishment of his kahal, his church, his assembly in the Old Testament was the prefigurement of the church that the Messiah would establish. And the Messiah was to be the son of God. And yes, the angels knew that the Son of God would become man. They didn't know when or where. And that was kept secret from them. And that's why the, 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 uh, the, the demons are always saying, oh, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. Well, yeah, they knew he was a Holy One of God. They knew he was some kind of a prophet. But they didn't know that he was the Messiah, the, the God-man that was going to redeem the world. And they're testing him. They're baiting him. When Satan, after he fasts for 40 days in the desert, they, the, the devil comes and he says to him, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself off the, the, this parapet of the temple. And then he tries, then he tries worldly goods. Well, <laughs> you want all the kingdoms of the world? Fall down and worship me, the devil says, and I will give them to you. And so now he's tempting him, not as, and, and he's trying to bait him to see if he'll draw out. Can, can you draw out from him this information that he wants, you know, the enemy, the enemy, he wants to know about his enemy. And obviously Jesus was working and doing God's work. That was evident. So he's the devil's enemy. 
And so the devil is trying to find out just exactly, is he just another prophet or is there something else going on here? And God kept that hidden from Satan. And God worked out his plan through Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus Christ is God made man. It's like, well, you know, and yes, and if God, if God could take to himself a human nature and live among us as a real human being, he didn't have a human, he had a human nature. He did not have a human personality. He wasn't a human person. He was a divine person who took to himself a human nature. So he has two natures, the divine nature and the human nature. And he's walking around and he's curing people. And what's interesting is he tells them, don't tell anyone. Well, everybody who knew this man knows that he was deaf and had a speech impediment. And now he can speak and hear. It's like, well, how are you not supposed to tell anyone? Well, the reality is Jesus, again, just like the demons are trying to figure out who he is, people will have the wrong idea about what to expect from him. Just like when he multiplied the loaves and the fishes in the gospel and the people want to carry him off to be a king. Well, a bread king. They don't want the spiritual reality he's bringing. They're not asking for the spiritual deliverance from sin. They just want someone who's going to feed them and take care of their earthly needs. But that's not why Jesus came. So when he works these miracles in the gospel of Mark, he's always telling them, shh, don't tell. It's going to be evident to the people around, the, sick, the person who had been previously sick, that something happened. And yet he's telling him, don't tell, because people will have the wrong idea. And that's how often do we get the wrong idea about what Jesus is in our life and what he's come to do? Do we fully understand that he came to free us from sin? And yes, he wants us to have the needs that we, ha we need for the body, but we don't have a lasting paradise here on earth. He is, wants us to get to heaven and be with him for all eternity. That's the end of the first segment of this show. We'll be right back with more on Bible with the Barbers. Thank you for joining us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers. Mary Danielle gave you a teaser at the end of the first break about the book of Genesis. I only want to just say this, Mary Danielle, I mentioned it at the break, that if we don't get the book of Genesis right, in other words, understanding the book of Genesis, so much of the Bible after that will miss. So I think it's really great that you're taking the time to go to the book of Genesis and give us a, a little commentary of why it's so important for us to understand this. Well, amen. And that's it. We have to understand, you know, this is the first book of the Bible. It's the beginning. It it's mm -hmm. relates to us what God made and why. Why did he even make anything? Mm -hmm. And so you know, in the beginning, you have the, the earth is a formless void and, and there's emptiness. There's, there's lack of form and there's emptiness. So God gives form first mm -hmm. in the creation of the created physical world. Yeah. He gives form first. So you have the day and the night are created, the sea and the sky. Day one, day and night, day two, sea and sky, day three, land and vegetation. But there's still there's still a, an emptiness there because although you have the day and the night on day one, you don't have the sun, moon, and the stars yet. Mm. Now he will give, he will fill that void with something. On day four, he creates the sun, moon, and the stars. On day five, he fills the the sea and the sky with the fish and the birds. And on day six, the land and the vegetation. He, on day, which was day three, day six, he creates man and he creates animals. And I think it's important for us to understand that the, the, the author of, of Genesis is teaching us, number one, God is the author of all creation. All created things were made by God. And there is only one God. Now, in God, there are three divine persons. And it's interesting because there's, there are hints of that in the Old Testament, God insists on his oneness, but at the same time, there are hints of a plurality in God. And we see that even here in Genesis, when God goes to, um, to make man and he said, um, let us make man in Genesis 1 26. He says, let us make man after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over the creeping things. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over ever, every living thing that moves upon the earth. Let me jump in for a minute, Mary. I'm gonna. This question could take all the whole show because it's a big question that people probably were thinking when you were describing the creation of the world. And then there's people who say, wait a minute, I don't believe uh, in, uh, in other words, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. I believe in you know, creation. In other words, as Catholics, because this is a question I get a lot of times over the years been questioned about, and St. John Paul II answered that in his documents that he wrote. But the question is, how do we understand, because you said it right there when you said we have to understand that God created everything. How he did it in the sense of uh, the days, uh, we, you know, it, God could do it in a lot of variety of ways. It could have been the Big Bang Theory. So my question to you as a biblical scholar, what do you tell people who say to you, oh, no, 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 this is just, I'm a fundamentalist. I believe that, you know, God did it exactly the way the Bible said, and uh, there's no other option. Well, it's interesting because what happens there is they say, you know, okay, there's day one, day two, and day three, right? And they say God created the earth in seven 24-hour days. Well, you have a problem there. Yes, on the first day it says God created the day and the night. and, he, and it, it, The light and the darkness. It's interesting because what it is is there's – God creates light is what he creates. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. And God said – let there be light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God didn't create the darkness. God created the light. Okay? Now, is that, and that was evening came and morning followed the first day. Well, well wait a second. Um, are there any, is there a sun, moon, and stars yet? Do we have anything yet in the void that exists, in the emptiness, to mark out 24 hours. No, we don't. We don't have the capacity for a, a 24-hour day. It's not there. But what, what did St. Augustine teach us? He said, what you have here, these seven days of creation, are seven revelations to the angels. God reveals his plan to the angels. He plans on making man. And he plans on sending a redeemer for man, and that redeemer will be his son. He, he reveals to the angels his plan for creation. And, and in a sevenfold unfolding, he shows this. And, of course, on the seventh day, he rests. And that's part of the revelation, mm -hmm. that, that we will need this rest. So it's not seven 24-hour days. Because, first of all, the sun, moon, and star don't even exist until day four. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing to mark out a 24-hour day. Right until day four. So what, what is it? Is this eons of time? Is it, and we don't know. I mean, we can study science, we can study the age of the earth, and scientists can disagree about the age of the earth. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, scientists claim that, well, there are certain geological uh, <laughs> realities on this earth that it would take, you know, thousands or millions of years to, to happen, right? And then um, Mount St. Helen erupted when we were, what is it, 1979. So it was that four years after? 1980. In 1980, just you know, five years after we graduated from high school. And in a matter of minutes, in a matter of minutes, with this huge explosion, mm -hmm. geological phenomena occurred yeah. that scientists said would take millions of years. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and we know that there are earthquakes and there are volcanoes and there are, sure, you know, constantly. these explosions constantly all over the earth the earth is in motion it's interesting i mentioned to my my brother when i was in high school we would we studied a little bit about tectonic plates and this idea that there are these on the surface of the earth you know the crust of the earth that under under the water and stuff that you have these moving plates that move and that the, each of the continents is probably on a different plate and that's why the continents can move apart or closer together or and it explains a lot of things. And my brother, who was studying physics, said, well, you know, the interesting thing about the, the theory of tectonic plates, it would explain why the, why the Earth doesn't blow itself up. You see, if the Earth were just a static 
ball sitting in space, it's gotta be able to the release. pressure at the core exactly. is so intense that it would blow the whole Earth up. So, you know, and, and of course we know that volcanoes let off the pressure and sure. the, what is it, in Wyoming or um, the, geysers. the glaciers, the geysers, yeah. the hot baths, the, yeah. all these. And, and then again, if, if you have these tectonic plates, the theory is that the plates are moving over each other. So this constant motion on the surface of the earth would be constantly letting off the pressure that otherwise would destroy the earth with an explosion. So it's like, okay, so science, you know, yeah. it, you know for one, it's, it's saying that things are in motion. And, and again, scientists have discovered in the 20th century with, with the space program that actually the universe isn't static. <laughs> the universe is in motion and, and, and the sun is not even standing still. Our sun is moving. The whole right. galaxy is moving along with the sun. I don't understand that. I'm not an astronomer, but I do know that scientists have discovered these things. And so there's a lot of things that science can't explain uh -huh. you know science wasn't there they didn't see what 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 scientists discover is it, it doesn't make reality they're studying the reality that they observe and trying to figure out how it works mm -hmm. okay so scientists aren't making reality and oftentimes you know the scientists make an observation and so they make a theory based on that observation and then a hundred years later they found out well you know it's not quite right Mary, didn't I say that this topic could take the whole hour? Yes, yes. <laughs> I know, I didn't mean to sidetrack you, but this is important, creation. Right. Creation is important. It's, but the main thing is to realize that man didn't create the universe. Man didn't even create himself. And the angels didn't create the universe. And neither did the demons create the universe or themselves. And the angels didn't create themselves. God created angels. And some of those angels rebelled against him. And that's what the, the fathers of the church tell us. When God separates the light from the darkness... He's talking about the trial of the angels. The author, the sacred author is talking about the trial of the angels where God has to separate the light from the darkness. He creates the light. The light is the angels. And then he has to separate the good angels from the bad angels. He separates them. And from the book of Revelation, we're told that, that, that the serpent swept a third of the stars from the sky. The stars represent the angels. So approximately a third of the angels fell. Not all the angels fell. And, and the devil wants us to believe that he's going to win the battle and that he's won the battle and that he's the creator and he's the one who calls all the shots. And isn't that what he was tempting Jesus to in the desert, as we spoke about when I was commenting on the gospel today, that when he takes him into the desert to tempt him, it's like, first of all, well, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread because you're hungry. You fasted for 40 days. <laughs> I'll get you. I'll get you on, on your desire for food. You're not only desire, your ne necessity. You know, a, a human body, normally speaking, under normal circumstances, cannot go without eating for 40 days. You know, so um, that could cost you your life. But Jesus is is the son of God and his, his divinity sustains him. And we're not supposed to take on extraordinary penances on our own. We're supposed to fall in love with God and love him with extraordinary love, asking him to lend us his love with which to love him. And then we do the penances that he inspires us according to the duties of our state in life. And if the penances we're being inspired to do are taking us away from the duties of our state in life, those aren't coming from God. Okay? The penances that we do have to make it possible for us to perform our duties because that is what God desires of us. That is his will for us is the duty of our state in life. So the whole creation question, you know, God creates everything. He creates everything there is, and it's a way of revealing who he is and, and about himself. There is order. There is beauty. There is goodness. There is truth in all of creation. There's an order. There's a beauty. There's truth. There's goodness. And so we know that God himself must be ordered and good. He's the origin of order. He's the origin of goodness. He's the origin of beauty. He's the origin of truth. He's the origin of love. God is love. And so we have this whole creation reality and we don't need to, to fight over whether or not it was seven days. It, it couldn't have been seven 24 hour days. That's certain because the sun, moon, and stars aren't even created until day four, but it's seven revelations to the angels of God's intention for creation and their, their mission within creation. The angels, why does God reveal this to them? Because the angels are given a mission. They are sent. They are going to 
assist in the building of God's kingdom within creation. And this is their role, is to assist us in the building of God's creation. This is, you know, the fathers of the church and the, the doctors of the church have, have told us, this is what Satan's fall was. I will not serve. I'm not going to serve a creature who's less than myself. Man is the most complex of the creatures God made. He's like the lowest on the totem pole. And yet, there's something about man that gives him a dignity. And we'll get into that in the next segment. So don't go away. We'll be right back with more on Bible with the Barbers. Thank you for listening. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, Terry has stepped out of the, um, the studio here, so I'm, I'm here and my guarding angel's here. And we are looking at Genesis and creation. And we, the question we were going to answer today is, how far have we fallen? And what do we mean by that? Well, we know that the angels fell in the beginning when God separated the light from the darkness. And we've been reading from Genesis this week. If you've been going to daily mass, the first reading is from the book of Genesis. And it talks about the creation and then the creation of man. And the creation of man begins here on Genesis 1, verse 26. Okay? And it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He created him. He created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its, in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And evening came, the morning, and morning followed the sixth day. So God says in Genesis 1, 26, let us make man. And again, I mentioned that there, is, there are hints of the plurality in God in the Old Testament. Yes, God is one nature. Okay? He has one essence, one substance. But he's three divine persons, three persons. So what do we have here? In Hebrew, let us, the image and likeness of God, Salem and Demut. The first term often denotes a physical representation of something in, in two or three dimensions. And the second term refers to a pattern or visible resemblance of something. Genesis associates this word pair with royal authority as when the first man and woman are given dominion to rule over the creatures, all of creation. They're given rule over all creation with the relational conception of sonship as when a father produces an image of himself in a son, Genesis 5, 3, and with the sanctity of human life as when the Lord pledges to avenge the dignity of the human life against murderous violence, Genesis 9, 5 through 6. A similar complex of ideas has current currency in the political ideology of the ancient Near East, where the kings of Mesopotamia and Egypt were said to be sons fashioned in the image of their patron deity. Thus, what was typical what was typically the pejorative of a ruling, excuse me, what was typically, typically the prerogative, prerogative of the ruling class, the ruling monarch, is in distinction from his subjects, Genesis applies to every human person in distinction from the plants and the animals. Other aspects of the divine image include man's relational, in, rational, rational intelligence and 
his dignity as a person, his moral awareness, and his unique capacity for a personal relationship with God. So we're made in God's image and likeness. And what would have belonged to a monarch, God has given to every human creature, every human being has dominion over the creation of God. We are distinct from the animals and the plants. We are different. Only man is made in God's image and likeness. Okay, and that was, you have the, in Genesis 1, you have what's called the first creation story. In Genesis 2, you have another creation, another account of creation where it says, um, in the days when the Lord made the earth and the heavens, and when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused rain upon the earth, there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the, a mist, you know, watery mist, went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden in the east. And then he put man whom he had formed out and out of the ground, the Lord made to grow every tree that was pleasant for sight and good for food and the tree of life in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to till it and keep it. And it's interesting, when we were doing biblical studies, what you have is, there's no contradiction here between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. God made the wild things in Genesis 1, and then in Genesis 2, he plants this garden in the east of Eden, and he gives the garden, man is to till the soil, So the domestic animals and the domestic plants that need human care, you know, human beings to care for them. God puts man in this garden and man is supposed to till this garden and and keep it. All right. And what happens? And and God, God tells man, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day you eat it, you shall die. And then the Lord God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. And I will make him a helper. So then he makes all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And he brings them to the man and the man doesn't find a suitable partner. So then God casts. And this isn't because God, you know, oh, oh, gee, oh, oops. You know, I thought these animals would be okay, but no, no, that didn't work out. So I need to try something else. No, man had to discover. And this is what's so beautiful about Pope John Paul II's theology of the body. He goes back to the beginning and how critical this is for man to understand who he is for man and what his dignity is. We have to go back to the beginning and look at how God made us in his own image. And when when Adam is there in the garden by himself, he has to discover that he needs a partner like himself. And he has to discover that, no, none of the animals that God made are a suitable partner for man. Adam had to know that in order to appreciate woman. God intended to make woman from the beginning. That was his intention. But Adam had to discover that he was alone and he needed a suitable partner. And John Paul II explains this in his theology of the body. And he explains the dignity of man and what it means that God has made in man's image. And I recommend that, the theology of the body. Um, I w- recommend you you get Michael Veldstein's um, translation. He gives an incredible, incredible introduction you need to read the introduction. It's so beautiful. But so God puts man into a deep sleep. He puts Adam into a deep sleep. And then he takes a rib and he takes and he makes Eve. He builds up the woman out of the flesh. Now, it's interesting. He makes man from the, the slime of the earth. But Eve, at woman, he makes from the side of man. Now, he didn't make Eve from man's head. That would have made her superior to him. And he didn't make Eve from man's feet that would have made her inferior to him. He makes Eve from the side of Adam. She is his equal. She shares the dignity of a human person made in God's image and likeness. She too has dominion over the fish of the air and the birds, the fish of the sea, excuse me, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the animals and the plants. She too bears this image and likeness of God. She has an intellect and will. She has the ability to love, for self-reflection, to be an intimate personal relationship with the God who made her. 
And this is how God made us. And we know from the church, and the church is the authentic interpreter of scripture, that Adam and Eve are created in a state of grace. They have no sin. And we know that why? Because they are naked without shame. They don't see each other as objects to be used. And I kind of getting ahead of myself here. We didn't read this full thing, did we? God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And while he slept, took out one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib which the Lord God had taken, he made into woman. And then he brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we learn there's no sin there. There's no sin between man and woman. There's not this, you know, trying to manipulate or trying to dominate. They're equal to one another, and they see each other as persons to be loved. And they love one another completely and fully. And they are equal to each other. And we also see that this is the first marriage. God made marriage and the rules of marriage. He made the laws that, that um, you know, over, over <laughs> the laws that concern marriage. And what is that? That a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and they become one flesh. And so what God has made, we must, man must not divide. And that's what Jesus explains this in the gospel because Moses eventually allows for a decree of divorce because of the, and, and Jesus tells the, 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 the Jews at, the time, at his time, well, God allowed that because of your hardness of heart. That's not what he intended in the beginning. In the beginning, he intended that it was one man and one woman for life. But there were, because of sin, God makes accommodations to his children. He's a father, fathering his family. And so he looks at the weakness of his children, and he's not saying their behavior is okay. He's saying, I will show you the way. I will teach you the way. But he doesn't impose it on them so drastically immediately that there's a total emotional rebellion against God. He gradually teaches his children, this is what I made. This is what I desire. And, and before Jesus comes, there was this possibility of making concessions to certain things that you know, wasn't the, the will of God, but he allows it for a time. And we'll be back with more of this commentary on the beginning of Genesis and the creation of man and how far we fell. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. If you want to make a donation, 877-526-2151. Please keep us in your prayer and don't go away. We'll be back with more. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back. Terry's not in the studio, but um, I'm here with my guardian angel, and we want to look. We're looking at the book of Genesis here in the creation, and we wanted to answer the question: How far did man fall? Well, that we have to get to Genesis three to get to that. So <laughs> we've covered a lot of Genesis this morning, Genesis one, two, and three. But it's important. It's important to get back to the beginning to understand what God made in the beginning. And this is as we were talking just before the break. God made marriage, and Jesus reiterates. When Jesus is asked the question about divorce in the New Testament, he takes us back to the beginning. This is why John Paul II in his Theology of the Body goes back to the beginning. What did God intend from the beginning? One man, one woman from, for life. And it's like, well, and, and, and you, know, you know, what do the apostles say when they hear this? Remember the story and the apostles say, well, then if that's true, then it's better for a man not to marry. And Jesus said, this teaching is for those who can accept it. Not everyone's called to marriage. Some people are eunuchs from birth. Some people are made eunuchs by other men. And some people freely renounce sex for the sake of the kingdom. So we can live without indulging our sexual faculty. It's made for union and procreation. That's its purpose. And it's made to be used within marriage for union and procreation. Now, God doesn't bless everybody with children. 
But how do we remain faithful, especially in a pagan world that says like that just now, Terry came in the studio for just a second. We've got a, some mortuary guys here and um, they're going to have a funeral. And, and the, the one mortuary guy says to him, well, you've, you've founded all these different companies and businesses or whatever, you know, did, but how many wives have you had? <laughs> one. He has one wife. Terry and I have been married for, you see, 19, 19 um, excuse me, 70, 89. 89, 1989. We got married in 1989. So we were married 31 years in October. This October, it'll be 32 years. And both of us, this is our only marriage. Um, neither of us were married before and widowed. So we got married later in life. You know, not everybody waits till they're 32 to get married, but that, the grace of God, Terry and I prayed. So how do you remain faithful in your marriage if you're having trouble? Renew your marriage vows every day. And, you know, it's funny, the Protestants have done a great job. They have this um, um, fireproof, I believe, and it's, it's, it's a program of, of trying to, um, they made a movie, and it's this fireman, and, and he's having trouble in his marriage because he has an addiction to pornography. And his wife is like, she's sick of it, she's tired of it, and he won't, he can't quite give it up, and so she's going to leave him, and um, she actually starts um, getting sweet with, she's a nurse, so she gets sweet with this doctor at the hospital, and um, her mother needs a, an electric wheelchair. In the meantime, the guy, the fireman goes to his dad and he says, what do I do? And so his dad gives him this challenge. It's a, I don't know if it was a 30-day or a 40-day challenge where every day you do something nice for your wife. Every single day. You renew your commitment by doing something nice for her. You go out of your way to think of what she would like. And so he's doing all his things and his wife is like, what's, what's going on here? You know, And she doesn't really quite get it. And then what happens is, this, this electric, at one point, this electric wheelchair shows up for her mother. So she goes to the place that it was bought from and she said, oh yes, it was so generous of this doctor because the doctor, she had mentioned it to this doctor that she was getting, that was making advances toward her. And, um, and the lady at the place said, the doctor, he gave $300. Your husband paid for that. And she was like, what? And he, she said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought, I thought it was okay to tell you. I mean, he's your husband. I thought it was fine to tell you. And all of a sudden she realized he's trying. He's trying to get, oh, he's trying to come back and renew his love for me. And so then, and she had taken off her wedding ring and she wasn't wearing it at work. And then she goes and she finds her wedding ring and she puts it back on and she goes to the station, the fire station, and she goes to thank him for what he did for his mother-in-law, her mother. That's his mother too. And, and this is what we have to do in our marriage. We have to, first of all, we have to learn to forgive. Don't hold on to grudges. And usually, you know, years ago, a priest told a story about a, a, a true story. This woman came in, she came in on a retreat. She said, I'm going to divorce my husband. Um, I, I just don't love him anymore. There's nothing there. And the priest said, you're angry. And no, I'm not angry. I just, there's no feeling anymore. And I, I feel like it's a lie for me to continue with him. And he says, no, um, you're angry. And I want you to ask God what you're angry about. So she did. And she came back to talk to that priest again. And she was seething. And her husband hadn't done anything big. He, he wasn't a drunk. He wasn't a drug addict. He wasn't not supporting his family. He wasn't, you know, committing adultery. It was a thousand little things over 20 years of marriage where someone, she, he had hurt her somehow. And instead of her saying that hurt, and then working it out and apologizing, she just buried it. And she was angry. And the priest put her on a five-year program of daily forgiveness. You have to forgive and forgive again and again and again. And all of those hurts, you have to bring them up one at a time. And as they come up in your memory, you need to forgive and forgive again. Until, because anger kills love. And this is what often happens in a marriage. It's as simple as, Honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I offended you. You know, be aware. Try and be aware of what's hurting your spouse. And pray every day. Ask your angel. Talk to your angel and ask your angel. Talk to your spouse's angel. And renew your marriage vows every day. Yes, it is possible to remain faithful to one woman, for a man to remain faithful to one woman, for a woman to remain faithful to one man for life. You renew that commitment every day. You made a vow before God. We made a vow before God. My husband and I made a vow before God. And the angels took that vow to heaven. We're married for life until death do us part. So, you know, and that, that's, 
And then we get into the fall, right? Whoa, can we do this in 10 minutes or less? So we have the fall of man and we have the, the serpent comes and he's there and he says to Eve, now, is it true that God told you not to eat of any of the trees in the garden? So right away, what has the serpent done? He's distorted what God says. Oh, no, no. And, and, and by the way, it's evident that Eve is hanging around that tree that she was told not to eat from. That's called the near occasion of sin. We're not supposed to hang around the near occasion of sin. Okay. And she says, oh, no, no. God didn't say we couldn't eat from any of the trees. Just this tree right here, this tree that I'm looking at. <laughs> that I'm noticing is very good and beautiful. And, and um, well, it, it, you know, it, but we can't even, even touch it lest the moment we do, we'll die. Now, she added the part about don't touch. So is Eve already giving in to the serpent's um, beguilement? The serpent is beguiling them. He's getting them to lose their trust in their creator. And the serpent says, oh, but no, you see, you won't die if you eat from it. As a matter of fact, you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. What is this temptation about? This temptation is about you get to decide what's good and evil. God can't tell you anymore. You get to take God's place. He gave you dominion, right? Now you get to take his place. You don't have to trust him. He's keeping things from you. And that's what they do. They let their trust in God die in their heart. And Eve is already looking at it. And so then she knows, well, it looks really good and it's beautiful. And let me take some. And she takes some and she gives it to her husband who's with her. You notice the serpent doesn't go after Adam. He goes after Eve. Okay. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So if you ever have that question in math where I have this chain and this link can hold this much and this link can hold that much and this, and, and it's like, you don't have to do any math. You just have to look at what can the weakest link hold, okay? Whatever the weakest link, weakest link can bear, that's it. That will break the chain. There's no, there's no complicated math in that. So Eve takes it and she eats it. And then, then their eyes are open and they realize they're naked. Sin. Sin, and it separates them immediately. What? Separates them from themselves, from each other, and from God. Now death, disruption, discord, disunity, the fighting, it all begins now. And, and they hear, and what do they do right away? They're naked. So they sew loincloths together for themselves out of fig leaves. <laughs> loincloths. You notice what Adam and Eve do. What does man do when he sins? He, 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 they made bikinis for themselves, essentially, the original bikini, Adam and Eve and the fig leaves. God will make them clothing. He will clothe them with animal skins. He covers their nakedness because now they no longer see each other as persons to be loved. They're not innocent. They've lost the innocence. God made them in perfect innocence. He made them in a state of grace. And now they've lost that. And so now they'll see each other as objects to be used as commodities to be bought and sold, as, as you know, a manipulation, you know, so, so this, there becomes this tension between man and woman where the man wants to dominate and the woman wants to manipulate and each one wants their way. It has to be my way. You have to do it my way. No, we have to work together to build the kingdom of God. So we have to get over that. And that's where the forgiveness, what I talked about already, we have to be willing to forgive when little things happen and when big things happen. We have to forgive. Now, that doesn't mean I have to stay in the household with someone who's beating me and putting me in, in the hospital or someone who's abusing myself and the children. No, we might have to separate, but that doesn't mean I'm free to marry again. If there's a true marriage there, people can get, you know, people change. And, and when you marry someone you marry, you're married for life. If you're truly married before God, there's no getting out of it. There's no getting around it. A Catholic, an annulment, an annulment is not a declaration of a divorce. It's a declaration that there never was a marriage to begin with, that there was an impediment there that made it not possible to have a marriage. Okay, the people were not open to life. Maybe the man didn't tell the woman he was already married and had two wives. You know, um, there's some impediment and the church has those impediments. I, I'm not, I can't go into all of that right now, but, but the reality is, is that God made us in a state of grace. How far did we fall? 
God gave to Adam and Eve preternatural gifts, gifts that were above and beyond their nature, that they had infused knowledge of the things that God had made, that they were made in, in a state of grace. They were created in a state of grace, that they could talk to God. They didn't see him face to face, but they could talk to him. They were in a friendship with God. They were in a personal relationship with him, that they were at perfect unity with one another, that they didn't have concupiscence. They didn't have this tendency towards sin in their flesh because they were innocent and God had given them this grace. And so now we have concupiscence. We don't have infused knowledge anymore. We're born with original sin in our soul. We are now oriented away from God and oriented towards sin when we're born. That's why we want babies to be baptized. And that's why Jesus baptized babies and his church baptized babies ever from the beginning. Because we need to be restored to friendship with God. And that's why Jesus came, was to restore us to friendship with God. And that clock is ticking down and we're coming to the end of this hour. Thank you so much for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. I hope you learned something about Genesis. I hope you learned a lot about your dignity as a human person created in the image and likeness of God and how we are to treat one another and that marriage is established by God. And yes, you can be faithful to one spouse or life. This is what God made. He gives us the grace to do that. And we trust him. Don't let your trust in God die in your heart and ask God to renew your trust every day, your faith, hope, and charity. Thank you for joining us. Join us again next week on Bible with the Barbers. Like and share. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole church, grant it love and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great high priest, may the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin most powerful, pray for us.